Hello, my beautiful birds, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode is the importance of knowing your limitations and why that is actually going to help you unleash your potential, more potential, okay? It is one of the best things you can do, and I'm going to explain why. Because I don't believe that and this goes for children and teenagers and adults. I don't believe that you should have this mentality of like, you know, you're amazing at everything that you do. You can achieve anything. You know, you should get a medal no matter where you place and everyone's a winner. No, can't. That's not the real world. I don't think you shouldn't place all the importance in the world on being a winner. And I think that you should teach children the importance of of um, the process more so than the outcome and all of those things. But there is success and there is not hitting the mark. There is being good at something and there is being self-aware and understanding where you sit on that ladder, on that scale of in comparison to other people. And then there's being blissfully unaware and when things don't go your way, you're the victim of a situation and it all happened to you. Okay, so I think this is going to help you be more self-aware, know your limitations so you can do something about it. If you don't know your limitations, you're pretty powerless. There's not much you can do. And if you're just blissfully unaware thinking, oh, no, but I can do No, no. You're only going to hurt yourself by being blissfully unaware and not knowing where the limit in your capabilities is. Okay? We're going to become friends with our limits. It's going to be actually something that's going to benefit us in the long term and the short term, just in general. Okay. Uh, life update, not much, but I am going to the US next week. So I might even, if anyone's in the West Hollywood area in LA in the next kind of two weeks, um, I'm with my cousin Giselle. We might even do a little call out to see if anyone wants to, you know, Go to, I don't know, maybe we'll go to a bar and see if anyone's around that night. I'll just put the call out on my Instagram. If you don't already follow, follow me, it's at Alexis P-R-E-D-E-Z, at Alexis Perez. So just jump on there. If you happen to be in the area and we go to a bar that night, it's just like a spontaneous thing. Maybe we can do like an impromptu meetup or something. That would be cute. And then New York, but that's in like two weeks' time. Cannot wait. So fucking excited. Uh, I have a brain fact and then I have a very juicy, very juicy listener question at the end. This is hectic. So there's fucking nut jobs in this world. So excited for this. All right, the brain fact of today. Today we're going to be talking about something called serotonin syndrome. I mentioned this briefly in my most recent brain fact, which was about monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Um, so I thought I'd just delve a little bit deeper into what serotonin syndrome is. Uh, what is it? It is a drug-induced syndrome. It happens because of your, in, your body's interaction with drugs. When there's an increase of serotonin levels, within the central nervous system. So the levels of serotonin are just too high. There's an excess in the CNS, central nervous system, and it you get all these um, side effects or symptoms and in extreme cases it can become life-threatening. Why? How does this happen in the first place? Let's talk about it. So it usually only occurs when you have two drugs interacting in the system or 
a drug and a food group that you should be avoiding because of how it interacts with your body, okay? There have been a handful of severe cases that have been reported where it is due to a single drug, but normally when you're looking at it, it's because there's been two there's been two things that have been consumed and they're both interacting with your body at the same time and the effects are just too high. Um, and that is what's going to cause, in most cases, this serotonin syndrome. Examples of this are when you take medication, um, two different kinds of medication that are working on the serotonergic system. So as I mentioned in the last brain fact, things like monoamine oxidase inhibitors and like an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, something like that, uh, where you take um, medication with foods that are high in tyramine, so a monoamine oxidase inhibitor and, you know, um, fermented tofu and lots of that. Or also when you take a drug to treat depression that's working on the serotonergic system and recreational drugs that are going to increase the presence of serotonin. So that those are a whole bunch of examples as when you may get, when somebody may get serot serotonin syndrome. So when these things are taken, what's occurring is that basically you, it results in this high level of serotonin in the synaptic cleft. So that is the space between the presynaptic neuron and the postsynaptic neuron. And a synapse is the connection. It's, you know, that or the sending of information from one cell to another. So that gap between the presynaptic and postsynaptic cell that is the synaptic cleft and that is where you're talking about the concentration of the neurotransmitter and when someone has depression, they're likely to have lower concentration of dopamine or serotonin. In this case, we're talking about serotonin. Now, I mentioned in the last brain fact how monoamine oxidase inhibitors work. It's the inhibition of the enzyme that actually breaks down the reabsorbed um, monoamines like serotonin, for example. But when you look at an SSRI, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, you're actually blocking the process of the reuptake of serotonin in the first place. So you're getting this, this two-pronged approach. So if you're taking something that's blocking the reuptake of serotonin, then you're getting more serotonin sitting there in the cleft, in that synaptic cleft. Then if you're taking an ox, monoamine oxidase inhibitor, you're then blocking the ability for this enzyme to metabolize or convert that neurotransmitter. So then you've got this excess. You've got too much going on there. You've got two different drugs or a food type and a drug or whether it's both one recreational and one prescribed or both prescribed. It doesn't matter. It's got that effect on the central nervous system and now there's just too much serotonin in that synaptic cleft. The body is fine-tuned machine. It doesn't like it when there's too much of something or too little of something and you're going to get a side effect when that occurs. So if you're on an antidepressant, or a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, and you're taking opioids, cocaine, amphetamines, that's also going to increase your levels of serotonin along with dopamine as well. Now, with serotonin, it is found inside the central nervous system and outside of the nervous, the central nervous system. Uh, it's found mostly in the greatest amounts in the gastrointestinal tract, but in the GI tract, its role is for vasoconstriction, platelet aggregation, etc. It's not having an effect on your mood from the gut because your gut is not your brain, okay? Um, so in the gut, it's taking care of something else. In the central nervous system, as in your brain, its role here is for attention, sleep, uh, and mood overall, and then a few other things as well. Now with serotonin syndrome, 
How does it happen? It normally happens within 24 hours of this increase of the medication, of the increase of the drugs. And a few things are going to occur around the same time. So the mental state will be altered. There will be neuromuscular excitation and autonomic dysregulation. So you will get muscle contractions or likely get muscle contractions maybe in your legs, hypotonia, delirium, insomnia. You'll be feeling agitated and the autonomic dysregulation can include things like shivering or sweating. Your body temperature goes up. Uh, you get diarrhea, your pupils dilate. And due to this autonomic dysregulation, if it's too high, uh, where your body's not, it's not keeping this homeostasis, that's when, um, because of the high body temperature, seizures can occur. And then in extreme cases, something called rhabdomyolysis, which is, or rhabdo for short, which is where your muscles will start to break down. And this can be to quite an extreme where it can be quite debilitating permanently. Also renal failure. And yeah, if obviously if you're getting this in really high amounts and you're getting the seizures and rhabdomyolysis, that's how it can then lead to death in extreme cases. So basically if you are on a medication, especially one to treat depression, that's a, main, that's a really popular one, and you start mixing it with different medications, no doctor's ever going to prescribe that. So that would be the chance of that would be fucking low unless you've got someone who's not actually a doctor prescribing that shit who doesn't know what they're talking about, which wouldn't happen. But basically, if you're taking monoamine oxidase inhibitors and an SSRI, that can be super dangerous. But also in what's more likely is when you're taking an antidepressant and you're mixing it and you're having it interact with recreational drugs that are targeting the serotonergic system. That is more likely for, you know, for this serotonin syndrome to occur. And that's what can cause, that can be a big risk factor. It can be resolved by just stopping the medication altogether if you catch it in its early stages, because you're going to pick it up within the first 24 hours. But if it is more severe, where there's higher temperatures, the patients are normally sedated and they're given activated charcoal um, to kind of absorb what they can absorb. And maybe they're giving given something called a serotonin antagonist, which is something that's going to compete with that serotonin or the serotonin binding site um, to kind of stop the effects of serotonin or, you know, limit the effects of serotonin that's already going on within the body. So that, my friends, is serotonin syndrome or serotonin toxicity, it's also known as. Let's get straight into the episode of today. Okay, so let's get straight into the topic of today. And this is all about knowing your limitations. Another way of talking about knowing your limitations is talking about self-awareness. They're kind of going hand in hand because it's understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you can achieve, what you physically cannot achieve, no matter how hard you try or, or whatever. Uh, it's also good at knowing what you need to work on and it helps you, knowing your limitations helps you own your mistakes, own your downfalls. And because it helps you own those things, it helps you also apologize for the things that you did wrong because you knew that they were wrong. It helps you acknowledge when you are wrong, when you were not prepared, when you could have done better. Okay. That's the beauty of knowing your limitations. If you're someone who is always hard done by, maybe this episode is for you because yes, it's possible that you are just, you know, have been hit with bad luck. That happens. And you may be one of those people, but a lot of the time 
the reason why you might feel that you are always hard done by is because you feel a victim to the situation and you're not taking ownership for the part that you might have played in something not going as well as it could have gone for you, okay, or as well as it could have gone in general in that situation. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to be talking about a few points. They're kind of tips. They're kind of things to consider. It's it's not really a step-by-step process. It's just a whole bunch of points that I'm going to talk about that will hopefully help you get to a place where you can be well acquainted with your limitations and use them to your advantage. And you will see that the more you can acknowledge your limitations, not dwell, not have a meltdown, not focus on the bad and then spiral and spiral because like thoughts attract like thoughts. No, you're going to constructively know your limitations not see them as a threat, but as something that can help you, you're going to see that by doing that, you're actually going to achieve way more in your life, in every area. Okay? So let's start talking about these points. Okay, the number one thing that's really good about um, becoming friends with your limitations or, you know, knowing your limitations is that you become very, very clear on what is in your control and what is not in your control. I've banged on about this a lot, but I think it's very important because there's certain things in your life that are absolutely not in your control. And when something is not in your control, you either can give it way less attention or no attention at all, or you know how to manage it a lot better. For example, if you can think of some way that physically there's no way your body could get to X, Y, Z because it's not in your control because that's your genetic makeup or you're genetically predisposed to put on muscle, whatever in this way, then you're like, well, I can do this sport, but I can't do that sport. Or given my body type, I can be very good at this sport, but probably shocking at this sport. Okay. That's a very basic example of what I'm talking about. Okay. The same thing goes for if you know for a fact, for a fact that you don't like socializing in large groups then that is a limitation that you might be comfortable by acknowledging. Just say, I just don't like it. I've tried it. Don't like it. Don't even want to like it. Not interested. But here I am always trying to fit in by doing these things. Instead, why don't I try and associate myself more with people who are more similar to me, hang out in smaller groups, start being comfortable saying no because I know I'm not going to enjoy it, think that people are not going to love me any more or any less if I don't go to these things. And you understand and you become more acquainted with that limitation instead of thinking, oh, God, I'm different. God, I have to do this. I feel I have to do this. And then every time you do these things, you feel anxious, you feel uncomfortable, you're not even fulfilled and you feel drained when you leave. That's another example, okay? So it's good to understand what can I control, what can't I control? And once you've gotten rid of, okay, yep, I've identified what's absolutely not in my control. This is something I cannot change. It is unwavering. So I'm just going to accept it as is because if I don't accept it, then I'm just going to suffer because it can't be changed. Then there's the category of what can be controlled either completely or to an extent. And that is what we're focusing on here as far as your limitations as well, because a lot of your limitations are not set in stone. Some things like your physicality, like certain things are set in stone. Disease, diseased states, et cetera, et cetera. Other things can be managed and actually can be manipulated quite a bit, but it actually comes from knowing where you stand 
on that scale. So if you start a job and you're an absolute rookie, you've never done anything before, you have limitations. There are limitations in your knowledge and there are limitations in your experience. And knowing where those limitations are will help you more than someone that doesn't know where those limitations are because you know what you can improve on, what you can get better at. You know how to maximize what you need to do with your time at that job. Okay, I'm really struggling at this. I've got a lot of limitations in these areas, but I'm really, really creative and I'm flying high in this area. So I'm going to look at this area of my limitations and I'm going to work more with these people or I'm going to ask for help or advice from these people. If you walk in cocky as fuck thinking, oh, you've got to fake it till you make it, in every area of your life, then you're not going to be acquainted with your limitations. You're probably not going to ask for help where you need it the most. And then you're probably going to suffer when things don't go your way and not acknowledge that it was your lack of knowledge or your lack of preparation that is the reason for you not succeeding in that area or that field. The next thing is you stop feeling like things are done to you. You stop feeling like the victim of a situation for most of the situations in your life. Okay. It you, and you also stop waiting around for things to change or for others to take action in order for you to be able to proceed. It's like, oh, when I get a uh, when I get a boss that actually likes me, then you know things will actually start progressing for me. You know, some people, it's how is it that some people every single job they have, their boss doesn't like them? What are the chances? Are you doing something to contribute to this? Do you even know? Are you even able to look at yourself and your behavior and your actions? Are you actually even good at that thing? It also helps you be more realistic when setting new goals or benchmarks to achieve, okay? One of the things is let's say you're somebody who – let's talk about a tangible limitation in your life. Let's say that every time you set out to do a goal, you have absolutely not stuck to that goal. A lot of the time, the reason people don't stick to goals is because they have set themselves up to fail in the first place. They've created this goal in a way that they know they're going to fail or they make it too hard on purpose or too far out of the realm of their capabilities and then it becomes too difficult to you know, to put into practice and then it doesn't happen. Like a lot of people will try and set a goal and change every aspect of their life overnight. That's really difficult to stick to because there's a lot of mental effort that goes into changing every single aspect of your life. It's extremely mentally draining and exhausting when not one thing that you do is um, done on autopilot. It's all conscious, 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 conscious. I'm changing how I wake up my morning routine, how I exercise, how what I dress, blah, blah, blah. Very exhausting. So most people have set themselves up to fail. They've just burnt themselves out and within a week or less, they're back to their old ways, okay? You are able to set better goals by knowing your limitations. And your limitations can be, I am stuck in my ways. I have to acknowledge that I am a creature of habit. And in order to change, because given all the other times I've tried to achieve something, the reason that it failed wasn't because I'm not capable of waking up early or wasn't because I'm not capable of dedicating time to this task. It's because I didn't have staying power. I couldn't stick it out. It's not about the actual individual task that I couldn't do. I just couldn't do it consistently for a long enough period for it to become set in stone in in who I am and what I do. So look at your past and write down how have I gotten in the way of something? And 
you're going to find that through your actions or lack of actions or lack of acknowledging where you fell short in your behavior or your skill set, through those lacks, you're going to realize that you got in your way, way more than you may have realized. And that's a good thing because a lot of those things can be changed. If you sit there and think, look how unlucky it was that every single boss hated me. Look how unlucky it was that every roommate that I lived with hated me or that blah, blah, every colleague that I work with doesn't like me. You know, you could stop and think, okay, wait a minute. Who's the common denominator here? And also, how have I gotten in the way of certain things working out for me? Is it a personality trait? Like I've gotten in the way of doing something because I'm extremely defensive and I don't like apologizing and I don't like saying I was wrong. So I've cut myself out of a lot of opportunities and possibilities and people wanting to do things with me or select me for something. Is it that I struggle to say no because I'm a people pleaser and that's something that I need to work on? Is it, you know, maybe you are somebody that has a lot of drive, but you've got no restraint So when you say you're going to do something, you do it. But when you say, I'm going to stop doing something, I'm going to quit this, you can't do it because you've got no restraint. That's a whole other podcast episode that I need to do. So know where it is in your life or in what scenarios you have gotten in your way. Is it through your behavior? Is it through your lack of accountability? Is it because you were too proud and you could never apologize and relationships have broken down because of that? Those are all limitations? Is it because every time you get upset, instead of voicing how you feel, you attack someone to the extent that they end up pushing you away and pushing you away? Is it because you've never believed in yourself? So you never ask for that raise. And the only reason, you know, a lot of people think, you know, I'm so much better than my colleagues and I'm so this and I'm so that, but everyone's getting promoted. A lot of the time people are just more confident and you actually have the skill set, but you can't ask for something and maybe that's that's how you're getting in the way. There's a whole range of things. And it's not to beat down on you. When I talk about acknowledging your limitations, it's got nothing to do with beating down on yourself. It's got to do with saying this thing right here, I can identify something that could be changed. It's something tangible. It's a limit that I have put on myself. And in most cases, subconsciously, but it is limiting me and I can do something about it. It's very different to you thinking about an aspect of yourself and thinking, I'm a fucking idiot, I'm so stupid. That's very different, okay? It's I have a whole podcast episode on constructive criticism versus negative self-talk. So check that out as well. Now, part of this self-awareness of asking how you, uh, you know, how have you gotten in the way of something is to ask yourself, is it always me who this is happening to? Am I the common denominator? When I look at all my relationships, has it been a similar breakdown? When I look at all the times that I've been heartbroken, is it because of a similar personality trait that I'm always going for? Is, you know, am I always having the same conflict with my colleagues no matter what job I'm in? Am I always having similar fights with my family members over similar shit? Am I the common denominator? If the answer is yes, then likely there's something that you can work on and there's something that you can change because we've all been there where we know someone, and this could be you as well, but someone who is always right and never wrong and everyone else is wrong. Everyone else is an idiot and arguments always go wild because, you know, someone has accused that person of, of something that they absolutely didn't do. 
you know, like we've all argued with someone like that. A lot of people have parents like that. I actually had a listener story, which I am going to answer because I've, I've got a back catalogue of them, but around this where she has she struggles dealing with her mother because her mother can never, 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 never accept that she owns anything in the argument, that she's always in the right, everyone is in the wrong, and if you accuse her of doing anything, she'll be so horrified and she just, you know, she can't talk to you for days. It's just so bad that it's actually damaged her relationship with her mother to some crazy degree okay people do that and you may be one of those people or you maybe know one of those people and that is someone who is not acknowledging their limitations they are so attached to being right because they think it's part of their identity and if they're wrong then they're not lovable and it's this whole thing or that they're not believable that people think the worst of them so they don't want to admit that they're wrong, but that's a massive limitation because it creates massive, massive cracks in all your relationships. So are you someone that how is it possible that you're always right 100% of the time? Is it possible that you've been wrong and you just all it takes is admit, admitting that you're wrong? Is that possible? Because that's a limitation that you definitely want to get acquainted with. When I got and, – and mind you, I don't love saying that I was wrong – and I don't love turning around and saying, hey, look, I need to apologize because I fucked up there. I don't think anyone loves doing that. I fucking don't love it. But when I started doing it, I realized how healthy it is and how much better I felt. Instead of clinging to your side of the argument and being fearful and being walls up defensive, I've got to be right, so I've got to pull all this. It instantly ends if you say, you know what, I was wrong. Or, you know what? I might not be right about that. I actually don't have all the information. Or I snapped at you when I shouldn't have snapped at you. I actually exploded. I was in the wrong. That was a limitation of mine and I'm going to learn from that. Do you know that it actually makes people respect you more than if you're arguing something stupid and then you Google it and you wave it in their face saying, see, I was right, I was right. That doesn't make people respect you more. That makes people think like fucking relax, cunt, you're being – all up in my face being aggressive, being so excited that you were right and it doesn't make me like you or respect you anymore. But if you're having a discussion with someone and they can turn around and say, you know what, I was wrong, I shouldn't have spoken to you like that or I shouldn't have reacted that way or what I told you actually wasn't factually correct, it's so refreshing and it's such a breath of fresh air when somebody says that and you can respect them more. So that is a limitation that everyone should get acquainted with. And when you, can get, when you do it, it becomes easier and easier to do it. You probably never love it. Maybe you will. But it definitely becomes easier. Then think about what are your weaknesses in dating, in the dating scene. If you're someone that always goes for the asshole, this whole treat them mean, keep them keen, I like being, you know, I like this chase, I like this, I like that, it needs to be that intensity, I want, I want to feel like, you know, they're not available all the time, I like that, you know, that adrenaline of the chase when I'm dating someone, if you're attracted to that and then you're always getting hurt, you are attracted to the precise behavior that's going to end up hurting you. And you're not, and it's not about taking responsibility for the actions of someone that broke your heart. It's about acknowledging that you actively seek out a character that will hurt you. You're not responsible for what they did to you, but you are responsible for acknowledging a pattern in what you are attracted to. 
If you're someone that says every guy I date, every person I date, every woman, every person I date ends up doing this to me, then think, is there a limitation in how I select people? Maybe not. Maybe you're just fucking unlucky. Like I said at the start, there are cases where you're just fucking unlucky. But in most cases, there is something you can do. You can look at that, crack it open and think, what am I doing right now? What am I being attracted to? What do I consider attractive in a person and why? Okay? Why do I always go for this personality type? Does it, do I start dating the same person every time? That's a limitation. That is a limitation. I'm limiting myself to only choosing these people based on these behaviors and therefore the outcome is always going to be the same. So instead of thinking I'm a victim of the situation, you can at least think that is a limitation that I can do something about. You know, it might take me a while to curb it. Go listen to all my 50 million other episodes about that. But there's something I can do about it. I can acknowledge it. I'm no longer playing like the victim. I can take power back. The main thing that acknowledging your limitations does for you in your life is that it lets you know where you can take power back and where you can't. If you're someone who's always having a run-in with every single boss you've ever had, you can take your power back because you need to say, what am I doing that's causing this? Am I too cocky? Do I act like I know it all over someone that genuinely knows more than me? Why do I think that I know it all? You know, where is this coming from? Why am I behaving this way? Do I know people that also do that, that piss me off? You know, it's so, become friends with your limitations. Your limitations are there to teach you. They are your teacher. They are not there to hold you back forever. At least not most limitations. They are there to teach you something. And you only learn when you have self-awareness. You can, you can bang on about all the lessons in the world. Like a lot of people are so unaware of themselves, but they can really crack open someone else's relationship and say, these are all the things that are wrong, but they're in the worst relationship. They can crack open someone else's skills and say, this is where you're going wrong. This is how you should do this better. better, better. It's so easy. It's so easy to criticize somebody else. Anyone can criticize it. You're not, you're not a legend for being able to criticize someone else. Can you criticize yourself constructively? That's the question. There is nothing special or unique about you sitting in a safe place, all protected, pointing your finger at people who are putting themselves out there saying, mm, that could be, be done better. Mm, that It's like those people that try and coach people from the sidelines or like when you're watching TV thinking, oh, they should be doing like that. They should be. It's, it's easy. Nothing about you is unique by you criticizing everyone else. What's special, what's impressive, what's unique, what's awesome is you being able to turn it around and look at yourself and have awareness and say, that's a limitation of mine. I could do that better. I should have done this better. I could have apologized here. I could have done this. I need to work on my skills here. I need to upskill myself here. I need to learn from this person. I need to ask for help. That is impressive. That's fucking unique. And that is attractive and magnetic in a person. When someone does that, it means I'm comfortable enough with myself to know where I need to improve. And I'm willing to talk about it because I want to improve. That's hot. That's attractive. And lastly, when you become comfortable with your limitations, it is a big step in the way of self-love, okay? Because you are willing to say, this is who I am right now. And I'm acknowledging that this is a part of who I am at the moment. It can change, but it's part of me 
that's causing my circumstances in this time of my life. And I'm willing to accept that and accept it not in the way of accept it and not do anything about it, but admit that it's me. And everything I've done in my past has led me to this point. So I'm not angry, but I'm glad that I can look at this as something that I can work on. I'm glad that I have the the you know, the respect for myself and the confidence within my skin to genuinely be able to say, I want to work on this. That is a huge act of self-love. If you're constantly in denial thinking, I've got to be good at this, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong, I can't admit that I'm wrong, everyone else has wronged me, then it's kind of coming from a place of fear. It's coming from a place of if I admit that I'm wrong, then I'm not good enough and so I'm never going to do it. And that's, that's when you struggle with self-love or you struggle with self-confidence, that's what you're feeling. You never want to admit that you're wrong. It's everyone doing it to you. You can never apologize. You can never say, I need to do better at that because you think that by saying that you're not worthy. It happens often when people constantly seek external validation. If you always seek external validation, then you always have to be this perfect picture and you're never going to notice when you've done something wrong or at least you're never going to acknowledge it. If you seek validation from yourself, you're going to be hungry to learn. You're going to be hungry to be like, okay, what now? What can I fix? What can I work on? And it doesn't have to be the most public thing. You don't have to be like someone from fucking 2004 who updates their Facebook status every fucking three hours and say, hey, this is the other thing that I found that I need to change about myself. You don't have to do that. You can say it just to yourself. But it's this you're showing yourself that you respect yourself enough to be comfortable looking at where you are as a snapshot of your life today, what you could change, what you could do to improve and be okay with that, okay? That is the difference. The more self-awareness, the more acquainted you are with your limitations, the permanent ones and the temporary ones that can be changed, the more you're going to respect yourself. You're going to feel more comfortable in your skin. Now, a final example that I wanted to talk about as far as knowing your limitations is when you know your limitations, People can't use that against you. And that's one of the best things to do. If you're trying to pretend you know more than what you do know, people can use that against you. They're going to try and find cracks and holes in what you're talking about. They're going to try and prove you wrong and it becomes very ugly. If you say, look, I know a lot about this topic, but don't really, don't get me on this topic because I'm not confident in it. I've got to learn more. Then people are going to be chilled. They're not going to be like, really? Well, what about this? What about this? Do you know about this? And try and like poke holes in what you're saying. The same goes for, I think I might have actually even said this once ages ago on some episode, but the same goes for when people try and drag you down in the public eye because they know some hidden information about you that other people don't know and they expose you. And if you were to expose yourself first, nothing really can be said. Like, for example, when politicians, um, you know, you've got politicians and there's a sex scandal. Oh, there's this, you know, or a celebrity. There's this tape of someone here, you know, and then it ruins their career. They have to quit. They retire from politics. Oh, this sex scandal. You know, there was this, they once were in this whatever, okay? The flip side of that, in Italy, there was this politician who literally her job prior to going into politics was being a porn star. And because it was so public and it was so known, no one could use that against her. So she actually, you know, got places with politics because she was like, I have nothing to fucking hide. I am well aware that I was a porn star. Everyone knows that I was a porn star. And now I've decided to go into politics. Whereas someone who's, you know, 
also in politics, who has one sex video that leaks will probably have to retire. So what I'm saying, and this is a very extreme example, obviously, but what I'm saying with this is when you know your what your skills are and what your limits are and you are okay owning it to yourself and publicly, then no one can try and use it against you. Don't let anyone ever use your limitations against you. They're your limitations, okay? But make sure you're the one that's acknowledging them. You're the one with the self-awareness and it's not something that you're trying to hide and someone's going to rub in your face because you don't know enough about something or you're not good enough about something, okay? If you can own it, it's yours. And it's not a tool that someone has against you. Guys, I hope that that was a um, beneficial episode. I hope that it got you looking at something slightly differently. I hope that it makes you feel more confident to admit where you need to change something or fix something or get better at something or, you know, upskill in some area or where you need to apologize. Um, and I hope that you feel more comfortable doing so. All right. Now it's time for our listener question. Okay, the listener question. Hi, Alexis. I'm reaching out from Atlanta, USA, and I am obsessed with your podcast. Thank you. You have helped me become aware of myself and my surroundings in the most meaningful way, so thank you. Thank you, darling. I hope to get your advice on the following. I was in a three-and-a-half-year relationship with a guy in his 40s while I was in my 20s. I usually find myself gravitating to older men, so that wasn't an issue for me. The relationship was going smoothly until it hit two years. Then I started seeing unsettled behavior, man manipulativeness, being uncomfortable with songs and podcasts related to cheaters, liars, or toxicness. He even disliked me for listening to your podcast. Lol. Okay, that's a red flag if I've ever seen one. I mean, in general, I think anyone being annoyed at their partner for listening to something that's around self-help or liars or cheaters, huge red flag. But anyway, let's continue. Uh, I started asking him when he was going to invite me to his house since I was never invited. To say the least, this guy has been giving me the craziest excuses every time we set a date to go to his house. I'm talking about car accidents, family accidents and so on. In November 2022, I gave him an ultimatum that if he doesn't invite me to Thanksgiving, I would walk away. He then said that he would and even bought me the ticket to fly to him since I was living in a different state that month. I had in my gut that he was going to come up with another excuse and he did. He told me the weekend before Thanksgiving that he had a lot to drink at a party and that he accidentally slept with another girl. I knew this was a lie, but since that was the ultimatum, I ended the relationship and blocked him. Good. The guy continued to reach out to me on several different numbers and email addresses talking about how he can't live without me and apologizing to give him a second chance. I have always had the idea that there could be a possibility that there was another family for him to be this careful not to bring me to his house in the three years of dating. I unblocked him to hear what he had to say and even let him see me in person for the last time even though I knew I wasn't going to get back with him. He still continued to nag and pursue me and begged me to get back with him continuously from November 2022 to March 2023, which is obviously just now. Fast forward, I decided to go into a deep investigation on this guy and found out that he is married with three kids aged 10, 16 and 20. I dug more and found out that his wife's name is actually the name that he used for his sister when he was with me. 
He also lied about his age and his house address and more. Everything about him is a lie except for his name. I keep seeing posts of his wife thanking him for being a great husband and how much of a provider he is, blah, blah, and I couldn't stand but to tell her the truth. But at the same time, I don't want this psycho person to make me feel unsafe since he knows where I live. So I guess my question is, is it my place to expose him to his family? I am so close to doing it, but I want to hear your perspective on that. I hope you get to answer my question. Keep up the good work. You're truly doing God's work. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Okay. Firstly, I'm fucking thrilled that you're out of that situation. This guy is a piece of work, number one. So I don't have to give you any advice on what he's like, the narcissistic tendencies, all of that. You, you're out of that relationship. We're specifically talking here about should you confront the wife and tell her the truth or not. And I feel two ways about this. I feel, yeah, I think that firstly, you've got to look at it as, is this woman in her right to know the truth? Absolutely. She is in her right to know the truth. She is in her right to know that her husband is a cheating, lying piece of shit. She might already know that and just turn a blind eye. That's one possibility. But is she in her right to know that? Yes, she is. Is it your responsibility to tell her? No. You can tell her and there's nothing wrong with telling her, but you also shouldn't feel that you have to, okay? When I don't want to bring it to me, but I went through a situation where somebody had left me and it turns out that there was actually a quite a big overlap when this person had left me and weeks after he ended it with me, he had proposed to this woman. So part of me and a lot of my friends were like, you have to tell this woman, you have to tell. He just proposed, they're engaged and you literally were dating. There was this overlap all this time. Like you have to tell him. But then I thought, yes, this woman, does, does she deserve to know the truth? Absolutely, she deserves to know the truth. I felt awful for her. But then I was like, I am not as much, like this woman is none of my business. We're all fucking like, she's not my responsibility. I don't mean to sound mean, but she's not my responsibility. She's not my job. She's none of my business. And my mental health will come first in this situation, okay? I'm the one who's just been absolutely fucked over. Yes, this woman as well, but my job is to help myself and to preserve myself. For me, any action that involved that involved this man, directly or indirectly, is not going to help my mental health. For me, personally, I knew that the further I could remove myself from this toxic, awful person was to distance, distance, distance. Yes, it sucks for her that she's in that position. Not my responsibility, not my problem. It's his problem, okay, and her problem. But because just because he fucked her over and me over, I now am not responsible for bringing the news to her. I'm not going to put myself in a very uncomfortable situation. I'm not going to put myself potentially in danger because there's this volatile psychopath who God knows what they're going to say or do. And also keep in mind that this man spins lies 24-7. So this man could turn it around to make it look like you're some nut job that just rolled off the street who's got some vendetta against him and convince this woman otherwise. He managed to somehow you know, lie to you for three years. These people are masters of deceit, okay? So if I were you, I would not say anything for your sake, not for her sake, for your sake. If you want to, you can do an anonymous tip-off, but 
I just personally, for me, I'm like, my job is to take care of my mental health. So I'm going to fucking walk the fuck away and not get involved because it's not my job. It's not my responsibility and it sucks for her, but I also got fucked over too and it sucked for me and we all find out in our own time. So that's how I approach it. I know people have very different – people were saying to me, what about girl code and, you know, don't you feel bad for her and you should, you should, it's you. And I'm like, don't fuck, don't fuck with me about what I should do. I don't have to do shit. I don't know this person shit, okay? And if I don't feel comfortable putting myself in that vulnerable position where I could then be attacked by some nut job, I'm not going to do it. So if I were you, me, Alexis, being you, I wouldn't do it. Close that chapter, close that fucking door And from now on, you're just here to kind of build yourself back up and feel better about yourself and keep that person that, well, not really a person, that excuse for a fucking degenerate of an individual at a distance, as much of a distance as possible. Okay. You've already taken that step to break up. You don't need to do anything else. That's my personal opinion. And everyone's going to have their own opinion. Hopefully that helped you. Hopefully that gave you clarity around what you, or, or gave you good perspective of both angles to help you make your decision around if you're going to say something or not. Um, and yeah, glad you're not with him anymore. Thrilled that you blocked him and that you took those steps. Good on you. Honestly, good on you. You're going to grow from this. You're going to feel so much better for it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I love you so much. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.